Chapter 3 of Over the Hills and Far Away, A Story of New Zealand by Charlotte Evans. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lewis Fletcher. Pages from Lucy's Diary. In the afternoon, Lewis came on deck. He was pale and misanthropic. He said that life at present was a burden to him, and that the times were out of joint. He really was a trifle cross, but under the circumstances I quite forgave him. July 30th, Saturday. A thick, gloomy day. Wind against us, and we were beating about all day off the Isle of Wight. Dr. Dacre and myself still the only survivors of the first cabin passengers. His face looked much brighter than yesterday, in spite of the weather, and he was kind enough to take me under his especial charge all day, wrapping me up in rugs and waterproofs from the wet mist, and carrying my easy chair about to one sheltered part of the deck after another as the vessel altered her course. He did not talk much, nor did I, but somehow I did not feel lonely with that rough-coated, broad-shouldered figure keeping guard over me at a little distance, and, upon the whole, the day passed pleasantly, though Lewis was still invisible. July 31st, Sunday. The captain read the morning prayers of the English church in the saloon, and most of the passengers, including Lewis, came to life again. August 1st, Monday. Today the pilot left us, and we had our last sight of the English coast. Devonshire faded away in the gloaming, and on Tuesday morning we saw only a sapphire sea on all sides. I have been looking back over the pages of my diary, and I find that I have written a good deal in it about Dr. Dacre. I scarcely know what is the reason of this, except that he and I have been, from the force of circumstances which neither of us could prevent, much in the other's society during the past week. And then, too, there is certainly something about him which I like. I should say he is a man who would gain a great influence over the people he saw much of. But he is very peculiar with it all, very odd indeed at times. If it would not sound too romantic and sentimental for anything but a young lady's diary, I should venture to suggest that he must have a story connected with his life. I must put down something which happened, trifling though it is, to show what gave rise to this theory in my mind. This evening, Tuesday, August 2nd, most of the passengers were on deck about tea time. It was a lovely evening, and a light wind quite in our favour was wafting us along swiftly and gently. I was playing backgammon with Mr. Meredith, who was certainly the handsomest man on board the Flora. Dr. Dacre was leaning over the bulwarks near us. He was lounging with that perfect grace with which some men can manage to do nothing, languor of the most fascinating kind because it is only strength dormant. Dr. Gray, the ship's doctor, one of the shortest and fattest of men, had been going his rounds among the invalids in the second cabin. He now came up the stairs from the single women's department, and making his way up the deck to the other doctor, leant over the bulwarks by his side and began to talk to him. One of the women down there is very ill, I heard Dr. Gray say. She's worse than any of them, and she seems a superior sort of person, too. I don't think I ever saw anyone handsomer in her way. Mr. Meredith was throwing doubles with truly remarkable luck, and I was struggling against adverse circumstances with no hope of winning. Perhaps, having resigned myself to losing the game, I was attending more to what was being said near me than I otherwise should have been. Dr. Dacre had turned around so that I could see his face. Has she got any friends on board, he asked, with not much interest in his tone. No, she is going out alone, to her brother, I think, she told me. She is very much above the women around her, really. Ah, is she young, this princess in disguise? About eight and twenty, I should say. Quite old enough to take care of herself. Handsome, you said? Very. Black hair and great grey eyes, but she's ill, you know. Ah, yes, so you said. There was certainly more alacrity now in Dr. Dacre's manner. What is her name, he asked. Mrs. Keith. She is a widow, then. Dr. Gray shrugged his shoulders. That's as may be, he said. 
I don't inquire into the family history of all my patients. There was a few moments' silence. I made my last throw and gave up the game. Mr. Meredith immediately challenged me to play again, and commenced to put the board in order for another. Dr. Gray was speaking again. She has given me her watch, and begged me to ask the captain to take charge of it for her. They often do that, you know, if they don't think their fellow passengers are to be trusted. Here's the watch. She had a chain and a bunch of charms, too, but those she would not part with. Dr. Dacre took the watch in his hand. It was a pretty little hunting watch. One side was plain. The other had the letter L upon it in dark blue enamel. Turning it over on his palm, the doctor's countenance fell. There came over it the same expression which it had assumed when he looked at the Sussex cliffs, but intensified and mixed with... What? Was it terror? Then suddenly, for what reason I cannot tell, he looked full at me. This time there was another meaning in his eyes, but I could not read it. I had no clue to the mystery. He handed back the watch, and his hand did not tremble. I noticed that. A pretty little trinket, he said. I don't wonder she was afraid to lose it. It's nearly tea time, and I think I shall go below. End of chapter 3 of Over the Hills and Far Away, A Story of New Zealand by Charlotte Evans Recording by Lewis Fletcher